I'm Arlen Hamilton. I'm a venture capitalist. And this is Your First Million. I started my fund, Backstage Capital, from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. And who knows, maybe I'll reach my first million in personal capital while I'm recording this series. There's only one way to find out. This episode is brought to you by Digital Ocean. Let's go. Wow. Can I just say how ecstatic I am about the overwhelming feedback I have received since launching Your First Million just a few days ago. This is episode four. We dropped the first three episodes just a few days ago across all platforms. And you all have just been amazing. I just want to give you all a shout out for listening, for taking notes, for quoting, getting back. It looks like you have enjoyed Dr. Pamela Jolly, Amy Griffin, and Liz Fong Jones as much as I have enjoyed talking to them. Major gems, major keys. If you missed it the first time, don't worry about it. You can go back and listen anytime. Listen anytime and just get these gems. Listen more than once. Uh, definitely share with your friends. Keep writing those reviews. Keep uh, subscribing. Really appreciate all of that. You know, this is for you all. I This is a passion project of mine. It's something I thought about almost a year ago. And I just thought, man, how cool it'd be to be able to do this. So I'm so excited that I was able to make the time work out and do this. We've uh, recorded, I've recorded a few episodes. So there are definitely some more in the pipeline. We're going to drop an episode every weekend now that we have the first three up. So this episode four will be followed by episode five. That's how it works, right? Every weekend you can get more content. And uh, as long as you all keep listening, I'll keep cranking these out. I'm having an amazing time with this. So it's almost like therapeutic, you know. I have a day job, a gig, and it's the most fulfilling job, career I've ever had in my life at 38. I am the founder of Backstage Capital, which is a venture fund. I'm the co-founder of Backstage Studio, which is a venture lab studio that creates products. We have about 25 employees across two countries and several cities. That's what I do all day. I mean, I spend all of my energy and all of my time there. And I think of this podcast as an extension of that for sure, but it really is more of a hobby and more of a passion project. And so to get this incredible feedback already just in the first few days is blowing my mind. And I appreciate you all with all my heart. (laughs) I really, really do. I am stoked about episode four. Let's talk about it. So a few days ago, I was in London. I sat down with my good friend, Sophia Benz. She's become a good friend over the past few months. Let me talk to you about her a little bit. She's a Swedish investor. She's an angel investor and a venture investor. This year, she was named one of the most powerful businesswomen in the Nordics and all of the Nordics. 
And she was one of the very first employees and executives at Spotify. She helped build the company to what it is today. She's also a partner at Atomico, which is a multi-million dollar venture fund that invests across the UK and Europe. At Atomico, she pioneered this program called the Angel Program, which gives 12 budding angel investors 100K to invest in other founders. And so you can imagine um, this sort of scout program that she's put together has resulted in an amazing amount of diversity from the ground floor because of the intention behind it and because of her really having that intention from the moment go. And so that's one of the things I'm like most excited for you to hear about. She just wrote this amazing Medium post about it, too. I would search that. If you if you like this interview, remember to go back and, and search that Medium post that she wrote about the angel program, because it's about angel investing in general. She's been, for backstage, for the fund that I just described to you that I manage and work on, work with, she has been an incredible supporter. She is an investor in one of our funds through Atomico and has been championing us there and elsewhere like no other. And personally, she does the exact same thing. She goes above and beyond every measure possible that I can think of, and she seeks zero credit for it. So I I just want to highlight that about her because I think you can do really well, as you'll understand she has done, and be a really good person. Um, You know, this is what she does. She, She does this for me. She does this for Backstage. And she's done this for dozens, if not hundreds of founders and companies over the past few years. She's one of the nicest, most thoughtful people I've encountered in tech and in venture. And I'm so happy to get to share this conversation with you from London that we just sat down a few days ago to record. I hope that you enjoy it. If you have any questions for me or for her, just get in touch on Twitter. Arlen was here. A-R-L-A-N was here. Let me know what you're thinking. Let's talk about it. I will, uh, I'll see you on the other side of this. Enjoy. My name is Sophia Benz. I'm an investment partner at Atomico. Great. When people ask you what your occupation is, or what do you do? You know, if you're in LA, the question you're going to be asked all the time. So what do you do? What do you say to people? Then I tell them that I'm an investment partner at VC firm Atomico, and that I'm also an active angel investor. And how long have you been at Atomico? It's three and a half years now. And you're a partner there? Yes. And what does that mean? What does it mean to be an investment partner at a fund? Uh, For me, it means that I get to have one of the most exciting jobs ever, (laughs) meaning that I meet people that are um, on a mission to change the world, many of them for the better meaning entrepreneurs that have started a company that are uh, very excited about what they're doing and they have big plans and bold visions and they are looking for capital to help them move even faster. A partner is someone who can write a check to a company. Yes. Usually, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you have partner meetings every week or how does that work? Yeah, we do. Okay. That's cool. I know this. there's something kind of cool about when you are hired at Atomico. Which, by the way, Atomico is like like one of the largest funds in Europe and most well-respected. What was interesting about when you were hired? Um, I think it was uh, really cool because I was eight months pregnant. I didn't really look for a job, but I met with Niklas Sandström and he offered me a job. And at the time, that was a perfect match because I was expecting my second child. I had a few board positions and I did a lot of angel investing and he offered me a job that was called executive in residence so that was not a full-time 
you know, everyday job, but you could adjust it a bit to your situation. So for me, that was a really good option and a great way to get to know and and sort of feel upon how the world of the VC works. Right. Test it out a bit, if you like. It's normally a job given to people that are in between jobs uh, and mostly people that have been at a tech startup that has grown really fast and sort of taking some time off to think about what they want to do. And I was definitely in that position and didn't really know if I wanted to be going back to do an operational role at a startup or if I wanted to venture into VC. Right. And speaking of it, uh, operational role, you were at this, and I had to look it up because it was so, um, I'd never heard of this company before. You were at a little company called Spotify, right? It's a tiny little <laughs> upstart. That, yes, that's correct. <laughs> Uh, well, can, it's a music streaming yeah, service. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about today. <laughs> what would you say? How many users would you say use Spotify on a daily basis? 100 million premium subscribers. 217 million monthly active users. Yeah. When you think about it, in, in that, it's one of the most well-known companies in the world. has millions and millions and millions of users. You know, certainly revenue and then you think about, you go all the way back, though, that it had to start somewhere. So how did it start for you? So for me, it started with me bumping into Martin Lorenzen, who is one of the co-founders of Spotify. This was 2006. And my brother, older brother, used to work for his first company called Tree Doubler. So I met him at a birthday party, my brother's house. And he told me about this music project that he was uh, working on. And he said he needed help with PR, and he heard that I was really good at it. What were you doing before this where people knew you were good at PR? I was at a PR firm called Prime PR okay. and working with clients such as IKEA and SIS and wow. actually Walt Disney. And I helped them with what we called sort of marketing PR. So it was not crisis communication. It was proactive, communicative marketing PR, if you like. Wow. So you were, this was 2006, and you already had quite an established role at this other place and worked with yeah, that was companies. That was my dream job, actually. I had no plans to leave that job. I really felt like I was in my element and really enjoyed it. Were and you I, there at the time when you bumped in? I, I was. Really? Yeah. I don't think I've heard that before. And I was actually uh, trying to convince Daniel and Martin that they should hire me as a consultant for one day per week. And then... <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. And then... Uh, you know, they were like, yeah, but it's probably going to be more work than one day per week. So you should come full time. And when did you decide that you would be there full time? Like, what, what was that thing that made you know this is something I should probably dedicate more time to? I think it was, um, I did some thinking around it, definitely. I was not, it was not a given. Mm. But they are very inspiring. And uh, we had one meeting. It started four o'clock in the afternoon, me, Daniel and Martin. And we sat down, it was supposed to be for one hour, but it ended up me walking out of the office nine o'clock in the evening. Wow. And we had just been talking and brainstorming and laughing and having so much fun talking about what we could do with this product and how we could market it and how we could communicate it. And I left that meeting and then I was sold. I was uh, super inspired and kind of felt like I was on a mission with them. Wow. What were they? What were their stats like then? What were you looking at? Then. So this was before we had a, a team and a product. Before uh, we had a product. Yeah, this was um, 2006 we met. And then I joined full-time. I think I signed a contract in 
February or something. And at that time, they had a product and a tech team in place. And we were sitting in this little apartment in Stockholm. So the part that's just like tripping me out is that you had this established, probably well-paying gig. It was probably exciting and you knew you had a lot of life ahead of you and all that sort of thing. But that had to take a lot of bravery. Do you think of that as a, as a risk that you took or a brave act? Um, I didn't at the time, but looking back, yes, I do. And I think I, I got something that uh, a lot of people got, but way later. Uh, at the time, the word streaming wasn't a word that we used because this was before Netflix and everybody yeah. was owning music or videos or renting them. Uh, but it wasn't, the word streaming wasn't used. So we had a big job in front of us in order to like establish a new way of consuming music. But I said to myself, if I do this and the worst case scenario is that it will not work and then I can always go back to being a communications consultant with that experience. Mm. So I definitely felt like I was risking uh, and it was an exciting adventure. But I also felt inspired by these two very visionary entrepreneurs. And did uh, was the culture, like you're from Sweden, right? You're yeah. Swedish and was it Stockholm that you were in? Yes. Is the culture generally... like? Sure, everything's exciting right now. Does it have, did it have that vibe to it, or were a lot of people more traditional and not really understanding startups and their value yet? So at that time, we didn't really have what we call a startup community. There were a few startups, but it wasn't at all uh, established or built out the way it is today. So we didn't even talk about it as a startup. We normally hosted like after work beers at the Spotify office on Fridays. That was the informal sort of meetup for people in the tech world in Stockholm at the time, at least in my view. Uh, today, it's a whole different energy and, and culture around it because we have so many role models. There's been so many big companies coming out of Sweden. So many of the students that we meet today, they are uh, excited and they want to be entrepreneurs. Mm. That was not the case back then. What do you think was the, the magic ingredient? Because we'll talk a little bit more about your exact role. But in general, what do you think the magic ingredient to making Spotify and other companies out of the same region so successful? Oh, I think it's it's a lot of different factors. But one of them, I think, is that we have the social welfare system. So it's easier, I think, for people to take a risk and, and try starting a company and see if it flies without risking, you know, your health insurance or your whole life on the line. Interesting. So yeah. I reflected upon it when I lived in New York and I met founders and I felt like they were coming from a very strong ambition, but sometimes based on fear of failure. And they were doing it on kind of life and death almost. Mm -hmm. While some of the entrepreneurs that I met in Sweden, they were, you know, doing it because they saw a problem and they had the tools and the means and the capabilities of trying to solve it. And they were building things and doing this alongside other jobs or they didn't need to risk as much in order to try start a company. Mm. I oftentimes think about replicating that in other models that give people those wings and doing that for for black and brown founders yeah. because we I mean it's just like mul you know multiple times that a risk that we take because of different reasons in the US I'm talking and one of my fantasies, dreams, whatever, is like walking into a, a campus or something that has just people from all ages, all backgrounds, and, and they're underrepresented, but hopefully they're not underrepresented at this place. And 
they're just given the tools. That's where we started with the with the with the accelerator across four cities. But that's the bigger picture, is that because I believe that that is exactly what needs to happen. I mean, if people didn't have to worry, it's almost like basic income for for yeah. um, entrepreneurs. If that was not your day to day problem, speaking from experience, if that was not your day to day problem, what could you accomplish? Exactly. And you feel like that was what was going on in Sweden at the time. Yeah. Yes. Mm, that's amazing. I think I'll do some more research about that. Yeah, because I know talking you, about it. I know, you, I know you all have a great insurance and all that. I mean, you're taxed like crazy, right? You're taxed are just like off the charts, but it's but it's put to good use. Apparently. Yeah, I mean, I I looked at it from a different point of view after being abroad for five years. So yes, we pay a lot of tax, but actually, I didn't pay much more than I paid in the U.S. Mm. But in Sweden, we have uh, you know free education system and and healthcare and um, schools and nurseries. So I, I think it's a great place to raise a family and have a great work-life balance. Yeah. So let's talk about those years in New York. Did you immediately, after meeting on the street in Stockholm and then having the meeting, the five-hour meeting, they've convinced, it took them a few months to convince you to stay on full contract. Did you immediately then go to New York? And what was the purpose of being in New York? Uh, no, so I didn't immediately go. I joined 2007, and I think I moved to the U.S. in 2010. Mm. Yeah, so the first years I was focused on launching the product here or in, in Europe, in the Nordic region, and then in, in the U.K. Um, learned a lot from that and had a lot of fun. And then when we launched in the U.S., I was able to take those learnings and do it all over again, but in a much bigger market. So uh, for me, it was a fantastic project. But also stressful because it was a, a bit of a make it or break it deal for us. The U.S. market was very important, and we fought hard to get the licensing deals done. Uh, and it was more difficult uh, than to get the licensing deals done for the Nordic region. Well, yeah, I bet. I yeah. bet it was. <laughs> so because this is about making personal money, and like I, money to me is um, not as important as the options that it gives you. Like that's what it is based on. Can you remember a time in those first three years or so before you went to New York? Can you remember a time where you felt like, this is a pretty cool gig. I'm it's gonna I'm gonna be around for a while. Did you ever feel that sort of? Very much so. I felt like it was my baby. I invested my whole heart and soul <laughs> into yeah. that company. Yeah. I felt like I labored it. Uh, I, I talk about Spotify as we still sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely have my heart in that place and I have so many good memories and so many fantastic relationships with the people that I work with. Yeah. So for me, it's been um, one of the best journeys ever. And I I was extremely passionate about building the Spotify brand. I wanted to communicate to the audience what we were doing, but in an easy to understand way. Like all of the developers, they were so smart and so brilliant at solving this difficult issue but when asking them about what we were doing they wanted to talk about the number of encryption layers etc and all the Mm -hmm. technical Mm -hmm. stuff that they have built i saw it as my job to explain to a person on the street what is it that we built what problem are you solving how can i use it and what role do you spotify play in my life yeah and today when we have over 200 million people using that service on a daily basis we yeah, I did it again. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, yeah, I have my heart there, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah. So you were you were basically the first executive in charge of the marketing and and of what yes, Spotify mar- mar- is today. Yeah, I I remember my first business card. It it said marketing and communications. So I yeah. I was that department. <laughs> were, were there any like 
tough things that happen? Like, did you did you all make mistakes and you had to kind of go out and do like a little press conference type of like, yeah, we messed up. You don't have to say what it was if it was because it's in the past. But w- did that happen? Did you ever it feel ha- that pressure? Yeah, it happened a lot. And I think a lot of the things that a press team works on are things that are not actually ending up in the press. Uh, it is oh. dealing with things that, uh, you know, giving people the right information and, and avoiding potential crises. Mm-hmm. So yes, there was a lot of interesting situations that happened. What's your, what's your, because I, I, I want to ask you, was it ever about the money? Like, was the role ever for you like, wow, this can be a huge life-changing event if this goes, because you, at some point you had to realize, okay, we have now millions of people listening and paying attention and there's all this money coming in. Maybe we'll go public one day or maybe, you know, something will happen. Did you ever think about it that way or were you just like so... I mean, it felt always that it was um, an extreme inbound interest around us. People were curious and we got offers uh, to be bought by companies, etc. So there were always this excitement around us. For me, I I negotiated um, and I, I got access to an, an option program in the early days. And I was young. I didn't really know what that actually meant or what it was. But I was lucky to have people in my surrounding that uh, advised me to go for it and ask for uh, a portion of the option pool. And I'm very lucky that I did. Uh, So I had that. And obviously doing some math, you can understand that this has the potential to become a great financial outcome. But Mm. I was was more excited about building something that resonated with millions of people. And I was more excited about the team and the journey we were on. And I was super busy. So I felt like I never had time to think about it. And I was also, we were uh, a bit scared and paranoid about the um, competition. So we never took anything for granted. Yeah. Well, I hope this podcast is for many people, like they can take notes with each episode and kind of think about for themselves. So I can say one of the things that I'm getting from this is like, you don't necessarily go after things based on how much money you can make from it. You know, because a lot of things that I think will make money end up not making money. And then the things that sort of, I follow my passion. I follow the calling in the case of backstage. All of that is where things uh, really play out better. Um, and I then- agree. And I think for me, I never had the dream or the even the desire to make tons of money. That was not what I was thinking about as a younger kid. And uh, maybe it is because coming from Sweden, you have what you need and you you, yeah. you feel like there is a security in the system in a way. Uh, so I just wanted to have enough money so I could you know, live a healthy and good life. But I never sort of had as a goal to become a multimillionaire. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but the startup world has made a few people uh, very wealthy, mm-hmm. which is an interesting phenomenon. But for me, that was not the driving um, force at all. Do you want to talk a little bit more about the options? Because I think what you mean is like at a startup, at least, sometimes you're offered more salary for fewer options or no options. And then sometimes you're offered a lot of equity and the much smaller uh, paycheck. And some people, you know, for whatever reason, it could be that they just can't live off of less. So they take that. Uh, Or or they just think, well, why would I I bet on something that may or may not happen one day? And and in some cases, that never does materialize into anything. I remember my mom told me once he was fired, he was laid off because this company that she worked, one of these companies she worked, um, they came in, they said, you can take all of your options and use them as uh, wallpaper. Wow. Because that's, yeah. they told her that, yeah. like the whole company. So sometimes it doesn't work out. Yes. What would be your 
I mean, you have a very specific experience with this. You kind of, you hit pay dirt, right? What would you say for people who maybe they were working at one to three different tech companies, they are faced with it. They're an engineer, they're in marketing, they're in sales. They are given the option for options. Do you have a... Yeah, my recommendation would be if you believe in the company and the team and that the product or service that you're building is adding true value to the end user, definitely go for options if you can afford it. Because I think if you're part of building something and you are taking a risk by joining that company before they have proven themselves to the rest of the world, uh, it's fair that you get a piece of the pie after having built it and taking it to from A to B. Hmm. So then... I think most people know what happened with Spotify. It kind of did all right for itself. You know, there's there's an entire episode that we can go into one day where we talk about how you took Spotify from what it was to what it is today. I mean, do you you say that? Like, because you're very, like, um, modest person. Like, you don't go around boasting. Like, I want to yell behind you, like, be your hype girl (laughs) behind you. So do you ever just say, yeah, because you're just so calm about, you're like, yeah, I was that. I was at Spotify, but you know, you weren't at Spotify. You understand that you made, like you were one of the people who made Spotify like blow up globally. It was a team effort. I'm sure it was. (laughs) I'll never get her to say that it was anything, but I'm sure it was obviously, but don't, don't, I think that's kind of cool. It's like, you're definitely a role model for a lot of people because you're a woman and that already just sets you up uh, for being a role model, but you were, you did something. I mean, Spotify, it's fair to say that Spotify could have been a different company or had a different outcome if they had not seen you on that walking across the street. <laughs> so what yeah. I, what, uh, what will you say? What will you admit to uh, having done for them? So I think, yes, at that time, there were other music streaming services. We had something called Spiral Frog. Uh, we had Rhapsody. Uh, we had Pandora. We had Groove Shark. But yes, I think Spotify kind of won that race. And when I was working there, I we were so busy building. I didn't never kind of, you know, relaxed and said, yay, we won. We were always busy, busy, busy. But now looking back, I think what I could, what I contributed with was early on um, waving the flag of why it's important to build a strong consumer brand and how we do it. And then be the guard of that brand and, and make sure that we are navigating after sort of the soul of the company and staying true to ourselves when growing really fast. Mm. And I think that comes from, you know, lots of love and passion for both the team, but also the product and how we wanted to bring value to people's lives. I want to talk about, I want to spend the last part of the conversation talking about now the investment work that you do now as an angel, I think is actually really, really exciting. So I want to talk about that. But before I do, you know, you said earlier that, you kind of like being Swedish, you kind of have things set up for you. What did you call it? Social welfare system. Social welfare system. Yeah. And so how do you drive yourself when you grow up like like how what not just you but other people? How do you mm. think now that you've been out in the world and you've seen so many different types of people? How do you say, Well, I'm not just gonna rest on this? Yeah, and I hope this doesn't sound pretentious, but I think Once you don't need to be worried about next month's paycheck, you have the luxury to think about even bigger problems. So I think Mm -hmm. a lot of the entrepreneurs that I meet from the Nordic region, they have a lot of mission-driven companies that are looking to solve some of the biggest problems out there. So I think after you have sort of secured your own situation, 
then you want to give back and help society and, and therefore create companies that can either, you know, help reduce food waste or uh, come up with materials that are reducing plastic or, um, you know, other companies that are adding good value for mm-hmm. society. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited about our sponsors for this episode, Digital Ocean. I spoke at their employee lunch a few months ago in New York City at their headquarters, and I was just blown away by their team, by their diversity in the room, by the community that they've built, the curiosity uh, of thought there. It was really, really fun, and they are some really cool people. So when we partnered to sponsor and launch this podcast, I was stoked. Let me tell you a little bit about what they are and who they are and what they're offering us. So DigitalOcean is a cloud platform that makes it easy for startups to launch high-performance modern apps and websites with simple, predictable pricing, no gotcha pricing, and a UX that developers around the world love. You can stop worrying about your cloud hosting and storage bills and have more time to just focus on your business. We all need more time. So that's not all. They want to make it even easier for new businesses to launch apps in the cloud. If you're a startup, don't miss out on applying for their incredible Hatch Incubator Program. Over 2,000 startups in DigitalOcean's Hatch have received amazing perks, like a year's worth of free cloud infrastructure credits, special events, prioritized support, technical training, and more. Learn more about DigitalOcean's global startup community and apply for Hatch at do.co slash backstage. That's do.co slash backstage. It's a few years later. Would you say that, uh, and you can answer however you like, would you say that you made your first million uh, when Spotify went public? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's there's different ways to measure it, right? Because yeah, like if you really, if you really looked at it, I've already made my first million, but I can't, I don't look at it as I have. So, when Spotify went public, you got some money, a little bit of money. I sold some Spotify shares. Yeah, some you yeah. got a little change, and um, I think the coolest part is what you've been doing with it. So, like I can say from firsthand experience that you are, you're what I like to think that I am, right, which is a catalyst. There's just so much value in that. And so what was that conscious decision that you made? And when was that to like, I'm going to angel invest, I'm going to be very specific, I'm going to be intentional, it's going to be about something. Because um, you could have just kept that money and just stacked it for yourself, got a cool car, <laughs> yeah. got a cool like, you yeah. know, 300 pairs of shoes. Not that there's anything <laughs> wrong with that. That's your money. You could do whatever you want with it. No, true. And one friend of mine, she said, you know, now, you know, worked so hard for so many years and now you finally have the money. Why are you investing in another super high-risk startup? Why aren't you sort of buying a big house without the mortgage and, and getting that car? <laughs> but I think for me, I want to put my money where my mouth is and I want to put my money where I find it to be interesting and I think buying a big house and sit in it, that's not my version of fun. No. I think I i want to be a part of making change. And I want to be part of positive relationships and projects and, and settings. Um, 
So yes, I have been angel investing and I think it's one of the most fun and interesting things you can do. I, For me, it is about being in a context where I get to be you know, privileged uh, in one way because I can share my learnings and give back. That is giving me purpose and meaning, which is a beautiful place to be in. But I'm also on top of that learning from some of the best and most exciting entrepreneurs out there. So if I would just have my money on the bank or in a house, it would be static. I wouldn't learn from the house, but putting it into young, driven, exciting, smart, beautiful human beings that are creating things with it mm-hmm. uh, and seeing it grow, that is uh, extremely satisfying and, and inspiring. How many investments that were angel investments do you think you've made? I, I we calculated it, so it's uh, or counted it. It's uh, thirty-four. Thirty-four. Yeah. Starting when do you when do when did you make your first one? Uh, the first one was actually when I was still at Spotify. It was a person who I used to work with who started his own company. So I, I knew he was really talented. Yeah. And that was probably two thousand and twelve. Okay. Yeah. So and then was it far after that that you did another? Like, did you get addicted to it really fast, or did you wait a while and? and, and no, I waited bit? a while, and also because I didn't have, I hadn't sold my Spotify shares yeah. back then, so I didn't, I wasn't really liquid enough to, yeah. to do it on a scale. Uh, but that kind of, I think, spread, and then I helped him um, a bit. So, yeah. so I, I'm going to read between the lines because I know you enough to know that that probably did really well. Like that company or the second company you like <laughs> have, have have you had. <laughs> Because you're like, if you say, yeah, it was it was nice. It was it was good. Then it's probably like, you know, it's slack. Okay, no. it's slack. It's not slack. No, no it's, it's a great company called Ticktail that was okay. actually bought by Shopify later. Oh, very cool. Earlier this year. Yeah. Very cool. And did you have other uh, events like that happen with some of your annual yeah. investments? There was one company in New York that I invested in called Maple. Uh, they were bought by Deliveroo. Okay. So that means that I'm a shareholder in Deliveroo, which I'm happy about. Yeah. And uh, I had another one called Shim that was bought by telemedicine company called Cree in the Nordic. Okay. So there's been a few um, exits. Yeah. And that's exciting. I I saw, um, it may have been the same person, but I saw uh, one of your interviews. uh, Because believe it or not, I do prep in some ways. But I saw one of your interviews and there was a guy on stage with you and he just said that you you put it like, I think you put the first check in. Then I think you introduced him to all his investors and then you like helped him with the first customer and the first hire. <laughs> like, it, so you left Spotify when? 2014. Okay. So it was then when you had a little bit more time to like really focus on what your career as an angel investor would then be. Or as an investor would be. Yes, I actually started uh, working together with a group of people called Beta Angels. And that was a syndicate of angels that went, you know, together to do deals. And I was scouting deals for them and I kind of saw how it worked. And that was a lot of fun and I learned a lot. And then I uh, continued from there. And then a few years later, I met with Nicholas and, and Atomico. And I thought it would be fun to also see how later stage investment are done. By someone who's really yeah, good and I at should it. I should point out. I mean, you're you're super young, and there's there's a whole, like you did kind of start out the gate really early. So you have there's so much more to do. And do you think you'd ever work at one of the companies you've invested in? 
Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you want to be an operator again? No, I don't. Eventually? I, I mean, uh, I joke about it with them because it kind of sometimes itches in my ah. fingers to just get, get back to being operational. Oh, I'm sure any of them would take you too. <laughs> oh, man. But I think I, I'm having too much fun and I feel like I can scale up myself in, in the position where I'm now, which feels really good. Yeah. But now when you say it like that, I agree. It was interesting that I started angel investing. And at the time, I didn't plan to like, all right, I'm going to do this so I can then that can take me to a role in, in venture. I think now looking back, the way for me to enter the world of the VC world is because I, I could show Nicholas, like, here's the list of investments that I've done and they're not bad. So I think for me, that was a bit of a hacking my way through. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so I think about um, a couple of things come to mind. One is the syndicate that you talked about being part of. Would you recommend that for for people who are kind of in between, they don't, necessarily want to make a career out of investing, but they have some means now. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I think it, it's a very empowering way of, of spending your money. It's a great way to get started and sort of test and try out and see if it's something you like. You can use different platforms to sort of sort the admin. And then I think there's also a lot of um, what we see as uh, sort of dorm room funds at yeah. the universities yeah, for sure. that you can start with. And uh, for me, it was a great way to, to get started and to Get to know other people and learn the art. Speaking of dorm room funds, there's a great so dorm room fund itself from First Round Capital. I'll give a shout out to them. I love their model. I'm really excited about HBCU.VC. They're at historically black colleges and universities. So I would encourage people to check into that and look into what they're doing. Uh, HBCU.VC. You know, I think there's very few things as fun as like getting together with a few people who can do who can make things happen and just like. Pouring that all into one founder that you really believe in and just seeing how far they can go. Um, today, I know that you you have a lot of investments in women and it's very important. To, femtech is really a, a high on your list of investments. When did that become so important to you? I think in the beginning, I was um, keen to just be involved. So I, I did uh, more investments and bigger tickets. Now I feel like I have a, a pretty impressive inbound and many opportunities to be part of angel investment rounds. So therefore, I am a bit more picky. You know, I want the money to be meaningful. I want the time and the the relationships to be meaningful. So I, I put up a few investment principles for myself after looking back at these eight years. And I would love for me to be geographically close to the founder so I can meet up and sit down and have a talk and be there present. And it's a, it's a plus if it's a, a female-led company and if it's within health tech or femtech because mm. I think it's an exciting area that is very underserved. Yeah, and we're, we're both invested in O-School. Yes. Which is femtech, but it's not, um, the proximity is different. What about that made you, against all odds, invest in them because they don't, they're not based here? No, exactly. They're not based here, so that's the... It just, if it's something really compelling, exactly. you can make and an a founder that's uh, so strong yeah. and inspiring. And I love Andrea, yeah. and she's on a mission that I find so important. So yeah. I kind of couldn't resist it. Yeah, we'll do a plug for O School there. Yes, too. big uh, shout out. Yeah. So, um, so now you're you're part of a fund that is has hundreds of millions of dollars that you can make these these bigger bets uh, as a group as a partnership, and I'm sure that that. I know for sure that that takes you all over, kind of all over the world. You're speaking everywhere and you're one of the like busiest people and busy, not in a bad way, like busy, like you're actually working. <laughs> a lot of people like to appear busy, mm. but you're like working. 
So you have that. You have uh, two children, which which is awesome. Where do you think you're going next? And where would you like to go next? What is, not to say that you'll be doing something different, but is it about scaling what you're already doing? What's that big picture for you? I think I want to do more of what I do now. Uh, and and I want to do more deals and I want to be uh, expanding the angel network, uh, angel program that I'm running for Atomico. I want to inspire more women to become investment partners. And I want to back more female founders and support them even more. Why is it important for, like, when you think about people, not just in the tech world or venture world, people who who are sort of waiting for their chance at bat, do you think that anyone can kind of make a million dollars no matter where they came from, no matter what kind of support they had? Like, where do you think that, uh, in a philosophical way, where do you think you, you stop blaming the past, like stop blaming, oh my, well, I didn't grow up with money. And you know, th- you're talking to someone who didn't, right? Yeah, exactly. So, I was going to say, you are the best example yeah, so, of someone who took charge of their own destiny. And True. It took me a long time though to figure yeah. that out. It took me a long time to stop blaming the past. So how do you think about that when you're just talking to people who are not necessarily in your industry? Yeah. You know, Main Street. I mean, I have a, a respect for that. We come from different backgrounds and we have different um, kind of tools and, and projections. Mm-hmm. This particular podcast is like the, the audience is so interesting. Like there are going to be people yeah. who are in Atlanta or Detroit or like, you know, South Texas who have, I mean, the furthest thing from like they can imagine is working at Spotify yeah. or having a million dollars. And they work at like a grocery store. Yeah, But what I'm trying to say is I can have you on the show too. I can have that person on the show too one day. Yes. I, I guess, you know, I, I want to instill in people that there's no one who can't do what you have done. No. There's no one who, you know, is not allowed so that true. path. Yeah. And I completely agree. And I, but I don't at the same time want to sit here and say, oh, you know, everyone can do it because I, I understand that I'm privileged. Mm-hmm. I was born in one of the most uh, equal countries in the world and we, we have a, a good healthcare system, etc. So I understand it's different depending on your background, but I also think it's, it is um, up to all of us to kind of make our own future. And I think yeah. there are ways where we can uh, learn and listen and observe. And, and one thing that I love with the tech community is that it's very open. It's not um, excluding. I think we, we're, we understand that in order to create the best products. We need diversity and we need to have teams that are representing, you know, different cultures and regions. And I appreciate that with with um, the tech community. Yeah. And it's it's both what I've experienced and also what I hope for because it yes. is not the case across the board in the tech community, but it's such a wonderful example of what it could be. And the w- people who are getting it right and the, the regions that are getting, who are, you know, getting it right, mm. it's such a great place to aspire you know what I've been trying to figure out? And this no, is going to be what? weird. This might, just be, <laughs> we might even make it on there because it's so weird. I've been trying to figure out like what kind of music you like. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Usually I can figure it out. Just, yeah, and it's Spotify. Just you think I would know? Like, you think there would be like a... Like, what kind of music do right you Right now, do? I'm listening to the latest album of The National. The National? Yeah. Okay. Really cool one. Um, I love Swedish singer Lickely. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit. 
Yeah, exactly. That's the one. Yeah. Then I can sort of bark into, you know, deep techno and old classics. So I'm very broad in my list. Deep techno and old classic. What's an old classic to you? That is uh, right now, me and my daughter are and, and son, but when we are going to daycare in the morning, she wants to listen to Stand By Me. Yeah, yeah. it's very good. <laughs> and she was very impressed when I told her that that song was around when even her grandma was young. So she's like, Ooh. it's an old song. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, but it's still as good. So That's yeah, so cool. we're singing along to "Stand by Me" in the mornings. Okay, and you like you like Beyonce? I love Beyonce because yeah, you're human, and I'm human, and I need some of her power. And she, yeah. through her music, gives me an energy that I need. Yeah, and I love and I treasure. So, thank you, Beyonce, for creating. Thank you, Beyonce. That's yeah. right. That's right. I want to talk to her. There's so much I want to say to her and talk to her about yeah. and ask her. Okay, that's that's good. We're next gonna, episode, we're gonna make that our, yeah. on the next episode. <laughs> yeah. Beyonce, this is good. We're putting so. it out there. <laughs> we'll see. You never know. I've, I've said stuff out loud, and it's come true. I know. So we need to manifest. Yeah. We will see. All right. Is there anything else that um, you'd like to say? I hate when people ask me that. By the way, is there anything you'd like to say? I don't know. I'm not interviewing myself, but just in case, because it's not live. Or actually, like, one, it's exciting. one yeah. question. Yeah. yeah. You asked me what I see in the future. Like, tell me about your. What are we? What are we looking at? What are the upcoming five years? What is the oh, the upcoming five years? I am. I mean, I'm kind of. I kind of joke about being vain, but I actually am. think I'm a little vain because when I think about the five years, the first thing that comes to mind is like how it affects backstage. You know, <laughs> like uh, I just think, you know, we were just in this wonderful room full of uh, very powerful women from all over the world, and we're we're in London right now, and I was just listening to everyone speak, and I thought the world is so small. And I just, in the last five years, figured that out just through the fund, yeah. building backstage. The world is so small and it really is um, about, you know, just a couple of degrees of separation and, and asking. And this is such a, um inflection point for us. I think things are about to like explode in a good way. There's going to be, there's like all this bad stuff happening and like it's scary and it's like almost too much. But I think there's going to be this like just revolution. And I, and I believe that uh, backstage and, and funds like it and people like it. And like I said, catalysts, I think we're all going to benefit from that. And so in five years and seven years and 10 years, I believe I'm going to walk into rooms and, and all over the country and Silicon Valley being the sort of pinnacle of that. And first of all, it won't just be Silicon Valley. We'll say, you know, we'll be having these major conferences in Atlanta and, and New York and LA and Texas and all of that. But I think I'm going to walk into these rooms and the people who have the power, the people who who have become not gatekeepers, but key makers are going to be be people of color and there're going to be a lot of black people in powerful positions. I think it's going to be an interesting test for us because we haven't been in that power before. What do we do with it? That's just going to be really exciting for me. I don't believe it'll take us 20 years, 50 years like some people think. Well, some people that they kind of give up, they throw their hands up and they're like it's it's going to take so long for us to be for parity. It's going to take so long. I don't think so. I've seen what how much has changed in 3 years. And what it's taken is people being loud and screaming about it and then doing it. You know, you can only have so many conferences and so many uh, think pieces. I think there's going to be major change and it's going to be 
raucous and it's going to be like, uh, as Aisha Tyler said to me once, it's going to be like punk rock, you know, like it's just going to just turn everything on its head. I also believe in five years, I will have the largest collection of purple one suits, onesies <laughs> that will all be velour. I'm hoping, and um, and purple sneakers to go with it. Oh, oh, man, the purple sneakers is a given. It's a given. I just think it's going to take five years for me to be like incredibly rich and for and the reason that that's important, the re- only reason that's important is because it would have meant these founders that we've taken bets on are going to be the new normal. They're going to be the new guard. And I just believe that with all my heart. And I know it's going to take that small amount of time. So do I. Yeah. I also think there's a lot of, there's a lot of room for people to get in. Like, even if you're listening to this and you're, you you haven't, you know, you you don't feel like you're part of it. It belongs to you. So come get it. (laughs) Amen. Yeah. It's yours. Yeah. I cannot wait to follow your journey. Thank you. I also may, I hope that I have at least, a, like some sort of recurring small role in General Hospital. <laughs> I hope we're putting that out there. Yeah, it is I mean, happen. I have been trying. I, yeah. you don't understand. It's the next step. I don't it's even have happen. a doubt about it. I don't happen. doubt it for a sec. Going to be somebody, some judge. <laughs> Someone said I should be an anesthesiologist. This is very weird. We're going to stop now. Okay, where can people find you? Where can people... Uh, you're on Twitter? Yeah, look me up on Twitter, uh, Facebook. What's your name on Twitter? It's Sophia Benz. Can you spell that? S-O-P-H-I-A-B-E-N-D-Z. Z. Yes. Yes, very European. That's Z for y'all out there who don't speak the Queen's English. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having, like, sort of having tea with me in London. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun speaking to you. I'm going to try not to fangirl. I'm fangirling you, so. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Thank you. So I'd love to talk to you and keep the conversation going. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Arlen was here. That's A-R-L-A-N was here. Stick around too, because I will let you know when my new book is going to be in pre-order. Now that's coming out in uh, 2020. It'll be out as the real book. Oh my goodness. And it'll be, you'll be able to pre-order it most likely this year so stay tuned i'll let you know all about that on twitter on instagram and on this podcast thank you again to digital ocean for sponsoring this episode if you are interested in sponsoring an episode of your first million get in touch with me um right now it's soups easy to do so you just email me at arlen hamilton at gmail that's a-r-l-a-n-h-a-m-i-l-t-o-n at gmail.com and uh, put in the subject that you want to that you're thinking about sponsoring and I'll give you some more information Um, this is a really highly engaged audience really really uh, educated either through traditional means or through grit and tenacity or a little bit of both and uh, yeah these are the people you want to be talking to you got you got aspiring founders you've got in the trenches founders you've got aspiring angel investors and active angel investors you've also got venture capitalists you've also got limited partners 
And then you have people who are listening in to learn all about what all of that means. And so it's a really interesting group of people. Check it out. Thank you again, Digital Ocean, for sponsoring. Your First Million is produced and edited by Anna Eichenauer and senior producer Brian Landers. Additional audio mixing and mastering by Alfred Rook Hamilton. Additional production by Chacho Valadez. Executive producer, Arlen Hamilton.